in sport, we use the word rival a lot or your opponent. Sometimes we misuse the word enemy as the people that you're competing against. There is this perception in, in sport that you have to dislike the other people that you are competing against. When you think of great rivalries, you think of Red Sox-Yankees, Army-Navy, the Bears and the Packers. You think of these iconic clashes of incredible athletes like Reggie Miller and Michael Jordan where there was bad blood, like there was legitimately bad blood between them. But that isn't really the best way to describe what a rivalry is. A rivalry has emotion involved in it too, but you don't have to actively dislike the people that you're competing against in order for them to be a rival. My rivals, the people who I compete against, I am happy when they succeed. I don't like the fact that they succeed over me and it does motivate me to get better as an athlete, to train harder, to focus my energy, but I don't genuinely dislike them. And I never want to hear the word hate when used to describe somebody who is on the opposite side from you. Cycling has its villains. Yes, it does. It has its heels, which I think is a more appropriate term for the people that my good friend Tim Hayes often calls the baddies within bike racing. But it, it doesn't need to have anger. It doesn't need to have hatred. It needs to have a healthy respect for the people who are competing with you and an ambition to push yourself harder so that you can be better than your rival. Use your rival to make yourself better. Use the existence of rivalry as fuel. That's a favorite word for Eric Hill from Project Echelon. He and I have had numerous conversations about crit beef or about what the season is like in, in social media, and he always talks about it being fuel for the fire that is driving the men on his team. And I love it. I love everything about it, and I think we need to foster it more. We need to use that inherent part of competitiveness in a collective means of making all of us better. So when you look at something that is naturally going to be intensity, high levels of, of blood pressure, you know, hearts racing, things like that, use those emotions not to create anger or madness or anything that is negative, but use it to drive yourself. Use your rival to make you better. I'm Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. Flip it. If there is an athlete out there, an athlete out there who universally is described as a sweetheart, or as the nicest person that you can possibly compete against, you start to lose focus on the fact that she's also the 2019 Criterium Champion. She is a professional in her own right. She has been to Worlds multiple times. She is a world champion. I have never heard anybody say anything badly about Emma White from Rally Cycling. I, I'll carve out an exception for Curtis and her three brothers and sisters who probably said things bad about her when they were kids. That is obviously excluded. But 
when it comes down to those of us who are in the community, you know Emma White. You know she's a good person. You know she's somebody who will treat you fairly in a race. You know somebody who will compete cleanly. And you still see her succeed. You still see her wearing the Stars and Stripes for the Criterium Championship that she won in Knoxville in 2019 when she was led out by Erica Allah and competed against Kendall Ryan, Corinne Rivera, Lily Williams, her now teammate. She outsprinted the best of the best, and that's why she's our champion. Sadly, she's not going to compete this year in the Criterium Championship because she's trying to win a gold medal. You can't even dislike her for not competing in the thing that you find so passionate in your life that you're willing to create a podcast about because she's doing something so darn impressive. She has constantly focused on the mountaintop and climbing and climbing and climbing until she reaches the pinnacle of the sport. Pinnacle of the sport, segue alert, Wide Angle Podium Network of Shows, WideAnglePodium.com, your home for the world's only collection of top-tier independent cycling content. Go check out the full bevy of shows. There's a new episode of The Grodio out. Yes, the show about gravel racing. Bill Scheiken, Zach Schuster, Amanda Nauman talking about off-road racing, getting you ready for Unbound Gravel that is this weekend, by the way, in Kansas, 200, 100, 350 mile competitions because some people want to be bike racing for that period of time where sleep deprivation becomes an issue. I don't get it. I love 90 minutes or less. That's what the crit racing world is about. We can have a separate conversation about whether or not crits should be really 100K or not and whether that would make crit racing more interesting to the entire audience. But that is what Adam Mills and I are going to talk about because that's what we've been texting about forever. So, Look forward to that show with him coming up, I don't know, two weeks, maybe. He's going to be at Tulsa. We're going to talk bike racing. Wide Angle Podium, Adam Mills, Source Endurance, source.e.net. This show is brought to you by Source Endurance and by my own personal coach, Zach Allison, my good friend from a long time for 20 plus years, Adam Mills, who is the head coach for Source Endurance. Source-e.net is your place to find out about all the coaching services that they can provide, not just coaching, nutrition, life coaching, basically just everything that gets you ready to be the best possible athlete that you can be. When you find what you want at Source Endurance, use the promo code CRITERIUMNATION, all one word, for $50 off your first month. You'll join other athletes like myself, Justin and Corey Williams, Dante Young, you know, great women like Whitney Allison, who just won Desert Gravel. You've got so many good athletes. Come be a part of this community. Join Julie Kalitza, myself, and so many others in choosing Source Endurance, source-e.net. Now, we're ready to go. We've got Emma White locked and loaded, just like the beginning of a crit, just like the beginning of a cross race just like the beginning of a track race. She does them all, and she's doing them all right now. I'm Emma White. I come from upstate New York in a little town called Duanesburg, and I race for rally cycling. I want to start here with what might seem like a non sequitur, but I promise you it's going to be a segue of segues. Do you 
remember or, or have you ever heard of two athletes, one Bo Jackson and two Deion Sanders? I am the absolute worst with names, so I'm so sorry. I probably that's okay. should be very ashamed. <laughs> you should not be unless you're like a huge fan of football and baseball. Okay. Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders are two famous two-sport athletes. They played baseball and football in the 80s and 90s. Bo Jackson famously played for what was, at that point in time, the L.A. Raiders before they went to Oakland, before they came back to L.A., et cetera. And, and he also played for the Royals. Uh, Dion, also known as Primetime, somebody totally different than Celine Alvarado is, <laughs> but still Primetime, you know, played for the Falcons and for the Braves and a bunch of other people. He also played for the Cowboys. But the reason I bring it up is because in men's cycling, we've started to see these guys who are becoming famous because they are racing bikes in different disciplines. You know, at the top level, you've got, you know, Vanderpool and Wout, Tom Pidcock, guys who are suddenly like, oh my God, I can race cross, I can race road, I can race track or mountain bike. On the women's side, that's kind of always been the way. And you are yet another one of those athletes who like, you know, Katie Compton or Ellen Noble or Mariana Voss who, or Pauline Ferrand Prevost, who now race bikes in different ways. You started with cross, raced on the road, now you're racing track. Why do you think it is that women are doing, well, what is popular or really avant-garde on the men's side is what women have always been doing. Yeah, that's a really great question and a good observation too. I guess I've never really thought about it that way. You know, I grew up racing with my brother and my brother and I always kind of uh, went back and forth between road and cross when we were young. So that's just kind of how I fell into it. But women also, unlike men, most of them have full-time jobs. So I think it's just just normalcy for them. I think training all year, training all year is tough when racing doesn't happen all year. And um, I know for me personally, having a race season all year long made training all year long a lot more uh, manageable. So I don't know. I don't know what the correlation is for sure, but that's a really good observation. and I'd love to know more about it. I, I would love to get Vanderpool on the show too and ask him and then get Mariana Voss on the show. So if you've got a hookup when you go over to Europe for the next stint with Rally, <laughs> you know, go up to Matthew and say, hey, you know, I know this guy or, or talk to Mariana. Now, I listened to the show that you did with this guy named Curtis White. I've heard rumors. <laughs> He's your brother. It's true. It's No, honestly, in the red, great interview that you did with him. And I found this one part of your interview to be so touching that you became a bike racer because Curtis was a bike racer and your parents wanted you two to do something together because parents are always looking for ways to make it easier. When in the process of like growing up, did Emma, you know, become a bike racer in her own right, as opposed to like, you know, Curtis is racing. Let's get Emma in there, too. So I'm one of five. So Curtis and I are the oldest two of five. So uh, with him racing, it was just a family. We'd all go to the races. And if I had to be there, I might as well have been riding my bike around. So that's really how I got into it. And 
Um, I joked on Curtis's podcast in the red that I wanted the attention because Curtis was getting the attention. But the truth is, is it was just so much fun. We'd go and meet, see the same families every weekend and have a great time. So I, I just fell in love with it very quickly. And soon after us, our youngest brother also started racing. So three of the five were racing. But when did it start to become my own? I think I always thought that I would go, I'd race until I hit college. And then I'd become a college student in every sense of the word. Then the summer before I started college at Union College, I went to Worlds in Pond for Art in sorry, excuse me, in Richmond, Virginia. And I was I got a silver medal in both the time trial and the road race and signed with Rally Cycling <laughs> the, the fall that I was supposed to start school. So I deferred school one semester, started in the winter instead. And then I realized I'm not stopping, <laughs> um, not for college. I, I wanted to do it. I wanted to be pro and rally cycling was the best, the best place for me. It was so much fun. I realized how much I loved doing it, not just traveling with my family, but now I had created a new family in rally cycling and those women and the staff. And that's who I was practically uh, living with for a year, you know, traveling and Somehow I managed to continue school in those four years. I think once I signed with Rally Cycling, it really became not only did I realize that how much I loved it, but I realized that I couldn't just stop at any moment. Richmond Worlds is 2015, if I'm remembering correctly. At that time, you were racing for hot tubes. Yep. What kind of guidance and and what do you owe to your ascension to being on one of these junior development teams? Because they have become more omnipresent in bike racing, especially for criterium racing. You're starting to see development teams popping up in different regions and it's collecting a lot of the best riders in the region. Hot Tubes, Lux, you know, these are junior development teams that have got a long tradition in themselves. So, you know, walk us through being a part of, you know, a team like Hot Tubes. Yeah, Hot Tubes uh, was life-changing for me. Truly, I think I owe everything to Toby Stanton of Hot Tubes. Um, of course, my brother was on it two years before I was. So that was still kind of the the family affair of Hot Tubes. And with it being based just outside of Boston, we were super close to the service course, and but I was on the team after Curtis graduated from it and was one of eight riders, and the seven others were boys my age, and they are still my best friends, even the ones that don't race anymore. Uh, you know, some are married now. Johnny Brown is married and has a kid, and some of them I still keep in touch with, even though they don't race. They became my best friends and brothers, truly just brothers. I know they would have done anything to protect me on and off the bike. One of the coolest things about that development team, and I can't speak for any of the other ones, but Toby did such a great job of keeping us close off the bike too. We learned so much racing, on the bike, training, but we really formed into who we were as people those two years, um, our personalities. And we just learned how to you know, go about certain situations and 
respect racers and teams, other teams, promoters. There, It was life lessons every single day on that team. And I take those life lessons with me every day now. I just feel like uh, team building was so important to them. And we did a lot of fun things, too. You know, we had a team camp in the Bahamas, in Georgia. We did we went deep sea fishing, paintballing. I mean, not only did I learn so much on the bike, but it was some of the best years of my life up to this point. There are these athletes who fall into the camp that I am. It's somebody who is, you know, just myopically focused on one specific part of a sport or one specific sport. For me, you know, I love crit racing and I've, you know, been focused on it for the last five years. Before that, I was 100% into time trialing. And, you know, I spent way too much money on time trial equipment and, you know, wind tunnels and all that stuff. But even before then, you know, as a swimmer, I was, and I'm definitely, I am deathly afraid that I'm going to be made into a meme by John Oliver at one point in time for bringing up the fact that I swam at one point in time. But like, as a swimmer, I was a backstroker. That was it. I never did anything else. That was my event. There were other people out there who fall into the other camp, which are the people who are good at everything. There's the, you know, the Michael Phelpses of the world who are just like, yeah, I can win 17 gold medals and I'm just fine because I can do it in any event. When you look at bike racing and you look at, you know, cross, road, track, these are three very different disciplines within the sport. How do you not only pick and choose what you want to do, but pick and choose how you prepare for cross or track or, you know, road? Is that like a decision that's a year by year decision or can it be a week by week thing? Certainly looking at it in the big picture year by year is important because if you start going week by week, you get in over your head, you're overtrained, you're not prepared. <clears throat> so I definitely had big picture plans, but I was encouraged to try it all. And I really appreciate that um, by my coaches, by my team directors. I think it's really important for any young athlete. It's similar to going to school. You don't know what you want to do. You don't know what your strengths and weaknesses are until you try them all. And so I'm really thankful that I was encouraged to try all of these things and just to have the experience and the memories. And I think it was really important. So I was very fortunate. Um, my coach, Kristen Armstrong, has coached me now for going on eight years. And she was a big part to this picture because she was able to look at the big picture. I told her what I wanted to do. And she was like, all right, I will make a plan and we will prepare you for these races. So I didn't have to really worry about the preparation and how I was going to get re prepared for the races. I think for me personally, I found the balance to be very important because when I went a couple of months without racing, I started to start to wonder, what what am I doing? What am I doing all of this for? So with the constant racing um, on top of school, I perform my best when I have a lot going on. I've found that the, that was my strength. And somehow I've been able to tie in all of my strengths with cyclocross, road, and now track. And I think they've all really helped me become the athlete that I am today. How much of your planning and preparation and, and getting ready for races 
or even training in general is self-guided versus coming from, you know, a coach like Kristen, Ar- uh, Kristen Armstrong? I think over the years, especially having built this relationship with Kristen, she's taught me so much on and off the bike. Yeah, I think the preparation has also come from just doing it over and over and over again. And of course, ra- going to races as juniors, I figured out, you know, like, for example, how long to show up, like how much before the race to show up. Now I realize I like, you know, an hour and a half <laughs> before the race, or if I need a longer warm up, I like a little bit more time. And so that's just having done it so many times. Uh, mentally, I think Kristen has helped a lot with that because that's never easy. You know, going into a race, some of the, um, you know, nerves and feeling anxious and not knowing where I am fitness wise. She's been very supportive and she knows exactly where I am fitness, fitness wise all the time, a lot more than I do. So I just give 100% of my trust to her and she, she, uh, Never lets me down. I show up to the races exactly where I need to be. I wasn't exactly planning on asking this question, but like since you brought it up, I kind of need to know what it's like to show up to a race like the Tour of Flanders. You did that last year in 2020. You know, when I show up or a lot of other people show up to a race in the United States, you know, you, you drive your car in, you park your car, you go and walk over to race registration to get your numbers, hit the bathroom and, you know, chat with all your friends. But like, I get the idea that when Rally shows up at Flanders or Ghent Welgem or the La Course that you had done previously, that that kind of story is fundamentally different than what we're used to pulling the bike out of the back of the Prius or the Tesla or whatever it is. Um, also, keeping in mind that this last year was during COVID. So that added a whole nother level to showing up. Of course, they had streets blocked off for team parking. We were in a, one of the team buses for those races. So we had the big RV park it backing in next to all the other teams and everything was taped off for spectators. And in Europe, I've learned this very quickly when I started racing cyclocross in Europe. The fans are crazy, <laughs> super, super supportive. They look forward, they count down to these races months out, year, probably years out. <laughs> so uh, with COVID, it changed things a lot because they were not allowed near the buses. But normally they're coming up with photo cards and wanting bottles and so it is. It, you feel like a superstar when you show up to the race, one of these races. But then I'm I'm still starstruck by my competitors. Just being in a race with some of the people I've looked up to for years, it's still sometimes I have to pinch myself when I'm lining up next to them and it, during the race and I'm competing against them. So it definitely is a pretty pretty special experience and it's something that I never dreamed that I would get to. What is it like to race against the people that you recently saw on TV? I mean, there's a lot of women in the world tour who are racing now because women's careers tend to be longer than men. Some can be longer than men. And, you know, as a 17, 18 year old junior, you were watching these same women racing and now you're racing against them. Does that get to be a little intimidating or does it get to be like 
you've got your autograph book in your back pocket and you're like breaking it out in the middle. Like, can you please <laughs> sign this, ma'am? You know, what's that like? Yeah, I try not to uh, let myself get to that. <laughs> I try not to embarrass myself because I'm like, oh, this is so uh, I do. I do feel a little bit starstruck. And also, I just respect them so much. And, you know, when you're racing against them, you see them coming. I'm like, oh, here, t- take this wheel in front of me. And that's something I had to learn to, I I need to stick stick on those wheels and I can't give those wheels up. But for a while, it was very difficult because I saw them and I was like, oh, oh go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just, it, it took me a while to realize that I, I am now here at this level and um, I have to fight, <laughs> fight for positions and um, we're all training just as much, I imagine, and just as hard. And I worked hard to get here. So it, it took me a while to figure out that although I respect them so much, they're now they're beginning to respect me, which is absolutely crazy to think about. Every race has kind of its own life, you know, from beginning to end. And there are favorites that come in and, you know, there are people who are expected to do certain things. But I find it interesting that, if you are in a race and you put yourself in the front of the race for a long enough period of time, people start to expect that's where you belong as opposed to like you're an upstart or a usurper or you're trying to get in on the train, you know, if like one of the sprint teams, for example, like you, you're going along and it's like Bulls Doman and you're like, no, I want that back. I want that wheel. I want the wheel, the sweeper or something like that. Have you gotten to that point now where people either on rally or or other women in the field are starting to expect that Emma White is supposed to be at the front now. Yeah, certainly in the last couple of Ks of any race with all the teams lining up and trains starting, it's hard to get a spot and you can't look at anybody else as better than you or uh, more deserving of you at that point because it's every every train, every team for themselves. Uh, nobody gives anybody <laughs> any space in those moments. I've been in the position where I'm fighting hard to get up there and people are yelling at you. And But I'm like, I need to be up there for my team right now. <laughs> and I don't have a choice. In those moments, the kind of everybody is, everybody thinks that they need to be up there. And it's about who fights the hardest to get up there. So I'm not historically a very aggressive rider and racing in Europe, especially this past year, I really needed to change that or I would get shelled and dropped. So even throughout the whole race in its entirety, you have to stay up in the front because people are getting dropped every minute of the race. And that was the hardest part for me is positioning. It's constant. It's physically hard, but mentally you're always thinking about how do I move up? How do I move up? And it's it's so difficult. It's difficult to think about the whole race, and it's even more difficult to, you know, tell your legs to get up there. And so the respect kind of goes out the window during leadouts. But everybody, as long as it's safe, that's that's really what matters. Let's talk a little bit about life on the track, and because that's where your world is now. It's it's in the two hundred and fifty meters indoor of of the track and getting ready for Tokyo. You are 100% all in on Tokyo. You just came off of, well, I guess you, do you still count as the reigning world champ in the team pursuit? Yep, we do. Yeah, so 
you know, the 2020 champs for team pursuit, you've got, you know, your rainbow stripes, you've got your gold medal, but you're trying to get the Olympic gold medal now with a great team, you know, uh, other women like Lily or Chloe, Megan Jackstrab, you know, Jennifer Valenti, there's only room for four. That's a problem. Yeah. You know, getting onto the track, because I know that growing up near Albany, there's not really like a track in town. So this is a new experience for you. You were invited in to the track program to test. What is that like being identified from the outside and being brought into this community that you had no experience being a part of until the day they said, hey, Emma, we think you're fast. Would you like to ride on a bike with no brakes and no free hub? Yeah, um, I had been invited to talent ID camps at USA Cycling before, and there, some of them were road camps. And um, I had already been on road projects in Europe with the team, and I had a busy racing schedule with Rally. So I had turned down a couple of the camps and just knowing that I had, you know, thing, conflicting things. But when I got this track invite, uh, of course, like everything, I sent it to Kristen <laughs> and I was like, oh, what do you think? I had just come off of uh, Cyclocross Worlds in Valkenburg and um, that was a pretty rough experience for me. It was very muddy, hard. The whole course was pretty much running and I had high expectations for myself and didn't meet them. So I was like ready. I was like, ah, let's let's just try something new. <laughs> um, and at that point, I had no idea. I didn't think I would be racing. I fully expected to come back to cyclocross. I love cyclocross. And I love the team I was on with Cannondale. Kristen was like, yeah, if you want to just give it a try, something warmer, something, it'll only help strengthen your weaknesses. You know, the high cadence, the sprints, it'll help with both cyclocross and road. So she was all in. And so I was like, yeah, I've got nothing better to do. It was my off season. It was right in between cyclocross and when the road racing started. So I figured I had nothing to lose and only only things to gain. And actually at that talent ID camp, Katie Compton was also there. So I was like, oh, we've got a little bit of a cyclocross um, background. And, um, and it was scary, but fun. <laughs> it was fun trying something new. The bike was like learning a different sport with no brakes. And it was frightening because I had never been on a track before. What does it say kind of to you, the status of the American track program that, you know, you're now, you know, a world champ, Lily's a world champ, and neither of the two of you really had any experience before this talent ID kind of identified you. Does that say that, you know, track is is something that we are, you know, in the United States putting emphasis and effort on? Or is it saying that we need to do more work to get the best people in the country interested in racing this type of racing? Well, at the time that I had been invited, it was just after the Rio Olympics and the team got a silver medal and the team had won the world championships for the couple years leading up to that. So multi-world champions, silver medalists at the Olympics. I think they I think USA Cycling was looking to truly perfect this team and go for gold at the Olympics. So, um I think both Lily and I 
both came from cyclocross and road. And I think they saw maybe a little bit of balance, a little bit of wiggle room and, you know, kind of throwing the dice on us, I think, which is really humbling. It's very, very nice to be thought of in that way. But I think a lot of people went to the talent ID camp and then just kind of went back to their their disciplines and didn't really come back, maybe because they didn't like it or maybe because the strengths just, uh, you know, didn't align. They were better in another discipline. Yeah, I think it was it was kind of a shock, especially to be asked back, because my first training camp after the talent ID camp, we went to L.A. in October of that year and I was doing efforts with three world champions and it was it was very intimidating because I had been to four world championships at that point, two with road and two for cyclocross chasing those rainbows. And now I was riding alongside of a team with the with the rainbow stripes. And that's all I ever wanted is to be a world champion. So it was incredible motivation for the three years leading up to this point where I am right now. And of course, last year when we did successfully get the world championship stripes. Has this always been a thing for you? Because there's very few people in the world who can identify with a statement of I've always wanted to be the world champ because you're su- you're in such rare air at that point in time. Because like for a lot of people, the most they aspire to is I want to be the district champ or I want to be the city champ or I want to like you are looking at this this mountaintop that the rest of us, you know, are looking only at the base of has your view of life in sport always been with that gaze looking up all the way to the top? Or is that just the natural progression of, you know, I started at the bottom like everybody else. I put my pants on one leg at a time, just like everybody else and keep going all the way up. And then eventually I have to start talking about being the state champ or the national champ or the world champ, because that's all I got. Yeah, um, I think it's a little bit of both. I think back to high school or middle school and I'd be like, ah, I've got to, you know, can't go to this party. I've got to fly to nationals. And people would be like, what? National? Like as in national championships? Because you'd hear about it in, you know, wrestling or track and field. And I think cycling is a little bit different where it's just a little bit smaller of a community. You know, everybody knows everybody. And that is the natural progression of cycling. You know, you start as a junior and there are age 10 to 12 category for national championships and then 13 to 14. And and I think it really keeps people in the sport, which is great. But yeah, after I went to those national championships, of course, it the natural progression was now I want to win the world championship. And um, of course, looking up to so many amazing athletes and Kristen Armstrong being my coach, she's three-time Olympian gold medalist and uh, multi-world champion. I was like, I, I want to be her. And so, yeah, I, I at that point, I had never set my sights on the Olympics because cyclocross is not an Olympic sport in road. I definitely had it in the back of my mind, but I knew it was I had a long way to go. And um, World Tour wasn't really up my alley until this past year, really. Rally was more of a domestic team until the last couple of years. So, yeah, that's a little bit more competitive on the road. But uh, once track kind of brought that possibility of the Olympics, I had no idea that I would ever be here. With 
track, and especially with track in 2021, it's an all-in thing. You and I talked beforehand, and I was trying to encourage you subtly to come to Crit Championships in Knoxville, and I was secretly hoping that you would end up at Armed Forces so that, you know, you'd be here in Washington, D.C., or maybe I'd see you at Tulsa so, you know, I could see you in the Stars and Stripes jersey racing a crit. But for for you, Tokyo 2021 is is all in. What do you think about that? Like, you are sacrificing every other racing opportunity, basically, that you've got this year for that four minutes of time in Tokyo. Is that, one, worth it? And is it something that, you know, that you... You, well, let me just ask it like this. Is it worth it? Um, it's a good question. And to be honest, I ask myself that. And it, had it not been a year of a pandemic, I would have said, absolutely, no question. Of course, it's worth it. What is it? Six months of my life? But it's been 18 months of my life. And it's it's challenging. But I do. I believe it's so worth it. And, um, you know, selections come out and a week and a half or so. And um, it's the ultimate goal. And I would do anything to be there in Tokyo at the Olympics. And it's hard. It's hard at a lot of moments because without with the pandemic really taking away a lot of our races last year. And I love rally. I love my teammates. I love road racing. I love traveling with them and doing stage races every day racing. And cr- criteriums, that's my, I mean, as a national champion, I, that they're just so fun and challenging and track is a whole different world. And I've found a, found love for track. It's very fascinating. It's so meticulous and detailed and, you know, the aerodynamics and speed, it's all so just all the little things come together to create the perfect race. And I want that race so bad. And there is a big fear still of the Olympics being canceled. And if you were to ask me if it was all worth it, if they're canceled, you know, my answer might be different. So I'm really trying not to think about that and crossing our fingers, hoping that they happen. But it would be a really big mental challenge um, if they ended up being canceled because it has been two years of my cycling career. I was looking at your results right now. You won the Criterium Championship in June, I think it was, of 2019. Have you ever actually gotten to race in that kit? I did once. <laughs> okay, what race did you do? It was Fitchburg. It's a local crit in Massachusetts that was just a couple weeks after the national championships. So it was nice because that was a race that I grew up racing the kid race at so it was nice to kind of take it back to my my home race but i haven't really brought it to a a big race the and like i don't want to bury the lead you won fitchburg you won the crit at fitchburg so you know you won wearing the national championship jersey how does that make you feel. And I'm just going to add a side note before you answer the how do you make it how does that make you feel part? Your brother won the men's race at the same race too. So it's a double white family victory at Fitchburg that day. That was just special. Uh, I mentioned that it was a race that I grew up going to and you know, we know the promoters. It was a lot of a lot of just 
it was just special to be there with my whole family. Um, that was a race that my grandparents used to come to and cheer us on. It was right around the corner from where they lived. Um, and to be there with Curtis and win with Curtis, it was just fun. Like that, that is what I love about cycling. And um, I'm really happy that I have that to hold on to in the last, you know, before everything kind of went south with the racing year of 2020. Do you still have fun with racing or has it become a job? Um, A little bit of both. I won't lie. Certainly with with the last year, everything has changed and there's a lot more training and a little bit less racing, which racing is my love. I my team is what I love, you know, the the excitement of it all. So sometimes when I'm not racing, it's it's a little bit of a struggle, but the end goal is the races. So um, and that is what I have fun at. And I love it. I fall in love with it all over every time I get to race. So even we were just at a training camp in L.A. And although that wasn't a race, it still felt like it because we packed our bags and we stayed in a hotel room and I was with my team and we had some mock race days. And I was like, oh, yes, this is fun. And this is what I love. So I'm always looking back at photos, you know, team races and when we've won together as a team. And so, yes, I do have fun. I have a lot of fun. And I've been very fortunate here in Colorado Springs training for the track. Um, You know, I'm living with Megan. We have got our teammate Lily right down the road. And I still like this. This is the part of the sport that I love so much. And it's spending time with them and doing things, you know, off the bike with them. And um, I'm just so this is when I look back, whenever I retire, when I look back, these are the moments that I'm going to treasure the most for sure. It's funny. (laughs) I don't know if this is accurate, but you're still listed as a cat, too, (laughs) in bike racing. I don't know how you can be a national champ and a world tour pro and still be listed as a cat too, but like, let's, let's just roll with Is this. Is that on the road? Yeah. According to road results, you are a cat too. Um, wow. You have some phenomenal teammates at rally. Like I, I'm not even going to bother trying to list all of them, but like you've got women who've been in the sport for a long time who, who I, I would bet are mentors to you and that you look up and you're just like, Oh no, I know what to do. Right. Because she's going to tell me what to do. And if I go crosswise, I'm going to get told what's going on. But then on the opposite side, you've got a lot of younger women who are a part of your team. Now there's that whole new cadre of girls who came in this year including Madeline and Olivia, who you need to start giving guidance to, to help them get better and better and better and deal with the hard part of bike racing, which is never the bike racing part. It's always the other stuff around it. Yeah, absolutely. What's that like within the team, within Rally, teaching and mentoring and learning, you know, up and down the age brackets? Um, when I signed with the team in 2016, it was a brand new team. They they really just refreshed it and uh, made it more of a developmental team, new new riders. And I was the youngest rider on the team at that point. And sometimes I still consider myself the young rider of the team. And I, I have to remind myself that, that that is no longer the case. And 
truthfully, I haven't been with the team this year, so I haven't even met Madeline or Olivia, but I hear such wonderful things about them. They're racing so well right now, and Olivia is just injured, and you know, Madeline is in school, which I have been there, and so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting back together with everybody and um, really sh- passing that on because when I started in 2016, the mentorship I had on this team is something that I w- I carry with me today and the things that they taught me. And uh, I s- I've said this a couple times already in this uh, chat, but um, on and off the bike. And I think that is one of the most important things about a team is that you help each other, you know, when during, in a race, but also, you know, those mental struggles or the travel struggles. And there's so much about it. Teammates, they really become your family for better or for worse, because especially when you're with them for so much of the year, you see each other at your lowest moments and the highest moments and you celebrate with them. And you also, you know, have to have the hard hard times with them too and you just can't get away from it so you have to just embrace it and I've been very very lucky I adore everybody that has been on the team with me and I've create created such strong bonds and people who are no longer on the team or lo- no longer racing um, I will keep in touch with them for life for sure forgot Katie Klaus and I don't know why I have this mental block on Katie and I'm sorry Katie you are new to rally, just like Madeline and just like Olivia. I can't forget about the co- the junction, Grand Junction, Colorado native, Katie. So I apologize. One thing I realized when researching this is the Rally Women's Program has this penchant for having national champion crit racers on their team. You are the American crit champ for 2019. You are not alone. When she was on the team, Chloe Hoskins was the Aussie national champ. Olivia Ray is the New Zealand national champ. The Canadian national champ was on rally. Yeah, Allie. Yeah, Allie. Um, is her last name pronounced Beverage? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. <laughs> we call her Allie Bev. It's one of those names you have to say Allie Bev. <laughs> First and last. Yeah, I get that. I'm always Rob Kelly. I don't know why you can't just say Rob. <laughs> it's Rob Kelly. So I get it. So in, in, you know, like there is this tradition of championships. So there's always these good moments, but I want to talk and, and get, before we talk about 2019 and winning good moments, I want to talk about the hard moment. Cause you brought it up. Like as a team, you see each other in good and bad. And as a team, you win not because of the way you act around each other when things are going good, but you win because you act around each other when things aren't going good. And true teams perform well even when things aren't doing well. They, they've got the capacity to adapt and they've got the capacity to lift each other up. What's that like at Rally? Because I know that it hasn't always been easy and it hasn't always been good. So when things are going bad, how do you guys get it back on track? You know, and going bad can be anything. It could be some, but something happening in somebody's personal life that they have to kind of put behind them, or it can be a crash in the first stage of a stage race, or somebody's just not not where they want to be fitness-wise. And we see it all. And ultimately, you just have to be supportive of each other. 
And sometimes that's hard. On women's teams, I have to say, I think we are the luckiest team because I think we can really thank our leadership for that, our directors. And we're, yeah, I think the leadership has really made everybody form this very close-knit relationship. And we just have to support each other no matter what. And you'd notice that in a race. If somebody's on in a, on a different page, you know, because... Um, you know, like not everybody has to be on the exact same wavelength when it comes to the plan, how to act on it. And when it all comes together, that's when you do well. So whatever. Yeah. Sometimes you just have to kind of put things behind you or encourage each other, give each other the support they need to hear. And um, it's not easy, but we've we've all been through it, which is the bottom line, you know, you certainly we go through highs and lows and um, that's just life. Let's talk now about 2019 and about Knoxville, because this is a crit show. I keep telling myself that every time I say Criterium Nation, I got to remind myself that you got to talk about Criteriums as the reigning national champ for women. What was that race like? I just rewatched the race and I've got a lot of like sub questions, but I really do want to hear it from you. What was so hard or special about like the last lap or last two laps? Well, all throughout the race, I have to say our team was firing attacks the whole race, which already put us in a really great position to go for the win because I think we had control of the race the whole time. And uh, I also have to mention one name that we didn't call out is Erica Alar, previous crit national champion. And this was her last year of racing. So she was all in to hand that crit jersey over. And she is the master of positioning, (laughs) Um, which is something that has not always been a strength of mine. So um, the last couple laps, I just looked for her. <laughs> I'm just like, I need to be up there where she is because she, I know she's always positioned absolutely perfectly. So, and previously, uh, Ty Magner had won this criterium. So we were chatting earlier in that day of the best place to go. He had that insight on how to win it. So we had a strong team plan to go into it. Um, I was just protecting myself the whole race if it came down to a sprint. And then we had flyers going off uh, just in case it was a breakaway. So we we had everything covered. And then when it came down to those last three corners, one, two, yeah, three corners, <laughs> Corinne Rivera went early. And I knew she was going to be one of the the top contenders, someone I needed to watch out for. And the sad thing about nationals is... She's on a European team, so she uh, didn't have the teammates that I had, which is always kind of unfortunate because um, she is such a strong rider. Very, She knows exactly where to be, exactly when to go, just very smart and finishes like this. But I had the benefit of a team, and so I took full advantage of that. And when I saw that Corinne launched, I got off Erica's wheel and uh, launched with her. And I knew it was a race to that third to last corner because after that, it's technical, it's uphill. I knew the way that we take the corners was pretty narrow of a road. So use the whole road to make the corners and um, it was just lined out from there. And then there was just no looking back, all about going as hard as I could. And it was a long sprint. (laughs) 
But by the time I hit the last corner, I didn't realize the, the time I had. So I just put my head down and sprinted. And it was really special because my mom was there. And uh, of course, when we were young, our parents used to come to a lot of races, but um, it doesn't happen too often nowadays because, you know, scheduling is crazy. So it was really special to have her at the finish line and keep that jersey within rally cycling. The way that you described that course in Knoxville, it's only a month away now, the next version of that race where the jersey is going to get passed because you're not going to race Knoxville, are you? Um, So I will do the road race. Unfortunately, I had been given the instruction not to do the crit just for safety reasons. With the crit, the way that you described it is the same way that Travis kind of described it that the sprint is from the third corner to go. Once you get into the buildings, because of the way the course is designed, it kind of weaves through some buildings. If you're not in the top two or three, you just don't have a chance at that point in time. Yeah. Which in watching the video for both the women's and men's finish, the person who was leading out of that final corner ends up winning. Clearly, that's the plan. That's the path forward. You did that against Corinne Rivera, and uh, having watched the video and having watched it live originally, the announcers could not have said it more times during the course of that video that she was riding on her own. She was the only person from Sunweb. I think that was the team she was on at the time there. But in the last 50 to 100 meters, it doesn't matter who your teammates are. You know, because at that point in time, at that race, it was mano a mano. Emma White versus Corinne versus Lily Williams, now a teammate of yours back then, Hoggins Berman, and Kendall Ryan, who is now on Legion. When it gets down to the pointy end of the race and you're in that sprint, what goes through your mind in that last corner, corner and a half to the finish when you're racing for the national championship? Well, what went through my mind was just, just go. Don't look back and go. You know, it was the longest 30 seconds um, in a race ever. But also having my team uh, in the previous hour, um, they were launching attacks all day. And that's that's really special. You always want to, when they work for you, you always want to pay it back to them. And that's really important to me. And I have that in my mind a lot, you know, give give it back to the team, to the staff, you know, we, it just increases the morale so much. And uh, 2019 was a really tough year for our team in general with uh, losing our teammate Kelly Catlin early in the year. And that affected all, everybody's training and racing for months after that. And so it was like the kind of, it was just the morale we needed. And I definitely put that on myself quite a bit just, you know, to give it back. I want to do this for my team. I want to do this for Kelly. I want to do this uh, for everybody that has helped me. That's that's really what I what I think about in the last little bit of a race. Has becoming the national champion changed you in any way? Has it been something that winning the crit championship has fundamentally changed Emma White's approach to bike racing? think it has changed me too much just because you know it's just another 
it's another goal. And I take it off and then I make another goal. And that's just kind of how we are as bike racers. And um, I definitely treasured that and held on to it and celebrated it. And then, uh, you know, now <laughs> now I went for the next goal. And um, with the road race just happening a couple days after that, there wasn't too much time to you know, there was a very quick reset and planning for the road race. And um, so uh, it's something I'm very proud of. It's something that uh, I love to relive and um, think about. But I think at the end of the day, it's still still the same Emma White before. For completion's sake, you ended up on the podium again two days later in the road race behind Ruth Winder, who World Tour team, and Corinne Rivera, also world tour racer. So you're in some pretty incredible company there. I mean, even if you go to the wide angle podium, Chloe Digert ended up fourth and Alexis Ryan from Canyon Shram ended up fifth. So like, I mean, if you list the top five bike racers in the United States, that's pretty close to a, a list that you're going to get. Yeah, that was a, a result I was very proud of. But also something I wish I could have improved on. <laughs> uh, you know, we're always looking for what did we do wrong and how could I have made that better? And what if, what if, what if? So I I love that race in Knoxville. I love the course. And um, I've been third two years in a row. So it's just a challenge that I always wish I, I go back to and it's very frustrating, but certainly in good company on that podium and something I'm very proud of. So your contemporary Travis McCabe said something very similar in his interview with me about reliving events and thinking about it specifically in the guise of the, of the national championship. His goal has been to win nationals on the road. And, you know, he's talked about going back and replaying it and trying to figure out what he did right, what he did wrong. Has there ever in your mind been a perfect race for you? Or is it always a learning experience? I think it's always a learning experience. Even when you have the result you wanted, there's always something that, you know, could have been a little bit better or could have d maybe not better, but you could have done differently and uh, been more, you know, at peace with it. Because it's funny, you talk to any cyclist and they do the same thing. They just replay it and replay it until, <laughs> I mean, I hear about people talking about races years ago and they're like, oh, I should have done this. And a perfect race is definitely hard to come by. It's a little bit easier to call it a perfect race when you win or when you, you know, have everything go right and you you end up on the top step of the podium. But usually there's something that even if it's a whole team, you know, if it's lo looking at the whole race as a whole and, um, you know, there's something that the team could have changed. And I think we're always looking to improve. That's just the nature of of bike racers, any athletes, I guess, in general. So I want to end here on cyclocross corner. It's kind of funny. Your first love in bike racing, I get the sense of cyclocross. And if Gloucester ever came back, I've been told that you, you will for sure be there. There's a race coming up. It will be three days, four days after this episode airs armed forces cycling classic. It's the first big crit of the season. 
and I know you're like, how are we going to get to cyclocross corner from big crit? You've never done armed forces, so I'm not going to ask you to like preview the race for me or with me, but like there's one particular battle in armed forces that I want to see if you can help me break down. So Carrie Warner Engage Hecht. <laughs> Gage is racing for Avolo and Carrie is racing for Project Echelon. Two of the best cross racers on the men's side going at each other in crit racing. Who do you think wins the between those two? Oh. It's two days of racing. Do you think they split it? Do you think that Carrie's gonna take both? Do you think Gage takes one or two? Like, can you can you break that down for us? Oh man. Uh, that, <laughs> uh, having been a previous teammate with Gage Hecht on Hot Tubes, I've got a lot of faith in that that guy. Uh, he is very strong and he's very smart about it. Carrie, I only know from the cyclocross scene, and um, I know how strong he is for sure too. I that's a tough that's a tough battle. I think as a loyal teammate, I would have to go with Gage. <laughs> Okay, that's it. You heard it here, the prediction. In the battle of cyclocross <laughs> racers, Gage Hecht is going to win. Emma, I'm going to get in trouble for that one, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the last question. You never know if people are going to make it all the way to the end of the interview or not. <laughs> but Emma, thank you Fair. so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the show. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. Go to WideAnglePodium.com to find out more, and please consider becoming a member and help financially supporting this show and all the other shows that you find there. Today's show was written, produced, and edited by me, Rob Kelly. Next week is the beginning of the season. Armed Forces Cycling Classic. We've got a full cadre of people who will be there at the race, talking bike racing, talking about what happened. We'll give you a full recap of the two days and take a deep dive into the second day, the Clarendon Cup part of it. So do come back next week where we'll have real life racing, real life results, real life fun, and more stories from our Criterium Nation. Dear cycling friends, we accept the fact that we have created the premier gravel and road racing podcast, but we don't think you're crazy to ask us who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us, in the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a hobby blogger, a gravel pro, and a curious newbie. And you can find us on the Wide Angle Podium Network. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours the Grodio Podcast.